You're listening to the podcast for Asbury United Methodist Church. Join us every Sunday at 9 a.m. for small groups, 10 a.m. for worship, or anytime at asburybosier.org. Well, good morning, friends. Thank you. If you are new, you haven't been here the past two weeks, or you took a wrong turn off airline drive, welcome to Asbury United Methodist Church. My name is Reverend Maddie Russo. I am new here on staff as your pastor to young adults and director of evangelism. And before we dive into scripture today, I just wanted to take a moment to say thank you to all of you for bringing me here and being so warm and welcoming and for hopefully laughing at my jokes and <laughs> and getting into the sermon. So just wanted to say thank you. I'm so happy to be with you all to be at this church and new community. So thank you. And thank you, Pastor Matt, for sharing the pulpit. Now, I will tell you um, up front, these past two Sundays I've been here, both Pastor Matt and Tommy have both played the guitar and sang a song after uh, the sermon. I just wanted to give you a heads up. Um, I will not be doing that. <laughs> that is not my spiritual gift. Um, y'all are amazing, but that just will not be happening with me. So just wanted to give you all a heads up. So when Pastor Matt asked uh, a few weeks ago if I would preach this Sunday, he said, preach on something that you are passionate about and tells us about you. I was like, geez, what a task, right? (laughs) But I chose this passage from a beautiful part of scripture, Jesus' Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5, verses 43 through 48. And it's about love. And I know what you're thinking. Like the song says, what's love got to do with it? But spoiler alert, everything. So it reads, you have heard the law that says, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. In that way, you will be acting as true children of your father in heaven. For he gives his sunlight to both the evil and the good, and he sends rain on the just and unjust alike. If you love only those who love you, what reward is there for that? Even corrupt tax collectors do that much. If you are kind only to your friends, how are you different than anyone else? Even pagans do that. But you are to be perfect, even as your Father in heaven is perfect. Friends, this is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me? God, who is always speaking, help us to listen. Amen. Now, right before this particular passage today, Jesus is talking to the crowd and his disciples about things like anger, adultery, divorce, and retaliation. And in each of these, he starts by saying, you have heard it said, or you have heard the law that says this. But then he says, I say, or I tell you this. So scholars call these the antitheses, because first Jesus recites the Torah, or the first five books of the Old Testament, which contain the law, which is something his audience would be familiar with. And then he presents an antithesis, or a radical reinterpretation of that citation, and then further illustrates these transformative commands. But he's not refuting the law, 
but deepening and sharpening it. For instance, he says, you have heard that it was said you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who even looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. For if your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. But don't worry, I'm not preaching on that this morning. So Jesus, as we see throughout the Gospels and his ministry, is deepening their understanding and call of how to live. And today's passage is the climax of the others. It shows us the divine ethic of love. Jesus starts by saying, you have heard the law that says, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say, love even your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. So this law he's referring to is Leviticus 19, 17 through 18. And it says, you shall not hate in your heart any one of your own kin. You shall reprove your neighbor or you will incur guilt yourself. You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against any of your people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. So the Hebrew word here for neighbor, and bear with me, I'm not a Greek or Hebrew scholar, is re-ah. Can you say that? Re-ah. It means intimate friend, companion, or brother, or sister. So here the Old Testament commands the love of neighbor, but even the word itself and the context we see today makes it clear that neighbor refers only to the fellow Israelite. So from this we see that people in Jesus' time did not love everyone. Their law did not call them to do so. So this implies that there is a group of insiders to be loved and cared for, but in their own religious and ethnic community, and us. And then there are outsiders, and other, a them. They do not belong. They don't fall into that neighbor category. So we see this us versus them mentality. And this is why Jesus' statement that we read today is so challenging and radical to all who heard it. And we see this play out in other parts of the Bible too, in lots of ways. For example, in Luke chapter 10, we see another instance of someone struggling to define love your neighbor. An expert in the law stood up to test Jesus by asking him how he could inherit eternal life. To which Jesus says, well, what is written in the law? And the expert answers, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your strength, your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Probably dusted his shoulder off. And Jesus says, yes, that is right. Do this and you will live. But then the text says, the expert desiring to justify and vindicate himself then asks Jesus, and who is my neighbor? So my first question to you gathered here this morning is, have you ever thought that? And who is my neighbor? Have you ever gone back and forth in your head with God? God, how far does that definition extend? I don't think it's this person. I don't think you had them in mind, right, Jesus? Who doesn't fall into your neighbor category? Do you judge people in your head? Are there those that you aren't willing to love or to help, that you deem are not worthy, 
that don't deserve a second chance, that are other or them or even an enemy to you. And maybe it's conscious, maybe it's not. And maybe like the expert, we tend to justify or vindicate ourselves for not helping someone or not loving someone else. We're too busy, we have a schedule, we can't, we don't want to, they hurt or annoy us, they're not our friends, someone else will come along. All of these excuses. So this is why the expert of the law asks this question, and then Jesus immediately tells a parable about a Samaritan saving the day. Because one of the last people that Jews would have thought of as neighbor would be a Samaritan. Samaritans were the other, the despicable, the unclean, the unworthy. Jews and Samaritans hated each other. So again, we see Jesus challenging and radically reshaping the concept of and who qualifies as neighbor and what they are to do as believers. So you see, Jesus calls us to love all, not just those we consider neighbor, or friend. There's another instance in scripture when a scribe asks Jesus what the greatest commandment is. And he says exactly what this expert in the law said. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. And then he says there is no other commandment greater than these. So I researched that verse in Mark and hear the word neighbor in the Greek when Jesus uses it. The definition says, according to the Jewish conception, any other person or member of the Hebrew nation and commonwealth. But according to Christ, any other person, irrespective of nation or religion, with whom we live or whom we chance to meet. So Jesus is saying to that question, and who is my neighbor? Yes. Even this person? Yes. Even my enemy? Yes. And I can picture Jesus going, did I stutter? We need to be living Jesus' definition of loving our neighbor. So then we might play the expert of the law or the devil's advocate again and say, okay, Jesus, But what do you mean by love? The word love appears 551 times in the Bible, which is a lot. Not as many as I thought, but it's a lot. Though there are a few Greek words for love, the word here is agapao, which is the verb form of agape. And agape is defined as affection, goodwill, benevolence, or brotherly love. It is unconditional, self-sacrificial love. It is God's love. It's the kind of love that translates to mercy and charity. But agape is a conscious action rather than an emotional feeling. It's not a passive thought or an unattainable ideal. It's It's a choice. It's not a love of attraction or obligation It's a conscious action, and it's not swayed by circumstance, because God is the source of agape love. And I love that Jesus uses this word when speaking about neighbor. 
Because he doesn't say, be nice or be kind to your neighbor. He says, love. Love as God has loved us. That's different. So we must break down that us versus them mentality because it's all us. For we all live in the same neighborhood. But Jesus doesn't just change our conception of love and neighbor with his words and parables, right? No, Jesus walks the walk. So throughout scripture, Jesus shows us who is and how to love our neighbor. I could spend a whole other sermon just sharing those, but two important examples come to mind. One of my all-time favorite stories of Jesus is found in John chapter 13. The author of John writes, And during supper, Jesus got up, took off his outer robe, and tied a towel around himself. He poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet. And after he had washed their feet, he said to them, Do you know what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for that is what I am. So if I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have set you an example that you should also do as I have done to you. So Jesus modeled and called us to live in this way, to love our neighbor in this way. Jesus is calling you to bend low and foot washing like service to one another. Friends, that is intimate. That is vulnerable. That is humble. That may cost us. That's real. That is true. That is agape kind of loving your neighbor. So Jesus is calling you to wash feet, the feet of everyone, not just people we love or who love us. Jesus didn't say love and serve those who love you, who vote like you, who look like you, who earn like you, who love like you, who live like you, have abilities like you, who believe or behave like you. And he didn't say wait until they clean up their act, break this addiction, have a home, say they're sorry, are worthy, stop sinning in this way, right? Because all are precious in God's sight. And because this is exactly what Jesus did throughout his whole life on earth and continues to do with us today. Jesus doesn't need us to clean up our act to come to God or to be loved by God. So how dare we withhold our love from anyone else? So I'll ask you, church, won't you love your neighbor? Another thing I love to think about with this famous Last Supper is Jesus washed the feet of Peter who would betray him, Thomas who would doubt him, and even Judas who would betray him and essentially sends him to the cross. So won't you love your neighbor? Which leads me to the other example. Jesus came down from the throne to live as one of us, to pave the way to challenge and deepen our understanding of how to live as disciples, and ultimately to go to the cross to be crucified for sins for all of us. Jesus was betrayed, tried, and sentenced to death on a criminal's cross. And what is one of the last words and actions that Jesus chooses? 
but to pray for those who are persecuting him. Jesus cries out from the cross, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Jesus lives out the very words of this passage we read today. Jesus chooses love and prays for those who are literally persecuting him. He is demonstrating this radical, agape love and servanthood. He's embodying how we are to live as followers of him. And frankly, if Jesus can do that, what's our excuse? The latter part of our text today says, In that way you will be acting as true children of your Father in heaven. If you love only those who love you, what reward is there for that? Even corrupt tax collectors do that much. If you are kind only to your friends, how are you different from anyone else? Even pagans do that. But you are to be perfect even as your Father in heaven is perfect. And I love this translation. So church, are we acting as true children of God today? Are our actions an accurate representation of God? How are you different from anyone else? That's a thinker. He says even corrupt swindlers and people who don't believe in God at all do that much. Because friends, as followers of Christ, we are meant to live differently. We are called to do what Jesus spent his life and even his death doing. To live lives of radical love and servanthood towards all our neighbors. So another question I want you to think about this morning and this week is how do you want to be known? How do you want to be known? Will you be known for having the biggest shoe collection, the nicest cars, the fanciest vacations, the greatest education and titles, the best family and friends, the most money, the largest houses? Or will we be known for inviting people into our homes, into our church, for taking care of others, for being unreasonably and unconditionally generous? and loving with our time, our gifts, our money, our service, and our witness for emulating Christ with radical love and servanthood, and not just towards those who love us, but to all, period. Francis Chan writes, do you know that nothing you do in this life will ever matter unless it's about loving God and loving the people God made. I often wonder sometimes if someone didn't know me well, would they think that I was a Christian? One of the first things I learned in seminary was that Christians were first called Christians by the people around them. In Acts chapter 11, we read, so that it was for an entire year they associated with the church and taught a great many people. And it was in Antioch that the disciples were first called Christians. This is the first mention in the Bible of the word Christians. And you see, they didn't name themselves, but they were named and called Christians by those around them, like little Christs. 
And there are other scholars and writers of the time who wrote similar things about Christians. For example, the Greek satirist and rhetorician, forgive me, Lucian, in 120 to 192 AD, said, It is incredible to see the fervor with which the people of that religion, talking about Christianity, help each other in their wants. They spare nothing. Another example comes from a Roman emperor, Julian the Apostate, who said their success lies in their charity to strangers. The Galileans, or Christians, support not only their poor, but ours as well. You see, this radical generosity, love, and servanthood is what we have been known for since the author and perfecter of our faith embodied it. It is one of the most beautiful declarations that we belong to a different kingdom and serve a different king. But are we known for that today? Jesus says, I give you a new commandment that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also should love one another. Then right here. By this everyone will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So how do you want to be known? We are to be known by our love. So what's love got to do with it? Everything. And friends, I know, standing up here, and what Jesus calls us to do is hard. It's easy for me to stand up here and say, love everyone, even your enemies. But what about those certain people and those certain situations? In fact, for many of us, hearing and living that Old Testament law, love your neighbor and hate your enemy, is just fine for us. It's very human. It's what we want to do. It's what makes sense. It's what feels natural and fair and right to us. And it's definitely easier. But I'm here to tell you, or really to reiterate Jesus' words, that you are called to a different way of living and loving because you are called to be set apart. You are set apart. And I know it doesn't make sense to others and probably to us sometimes, but I think that's the point. For if you love only those who love you and you are kind only to your friends, how are you different than anyone else? And I think if we cannot act in love yet to someone we might consider an enemy, let's be like Jesus on the cross and start with prayer. Because it's hard to keep hating someone you're actively praying for. It's hard to throw stones while you're washing feet. How are you different from anyone else? In a world that takes and invites us to lean into hate, God invites us to love, to live differently, to pray for people. Friends, we are God's ambassadors here on earth. Think about how many people you interact with just today, in one week, in one month, in one year. That's a lot of opportunities to love and make a difference. Think about what the world would look like if we walked in love with everyone 
around us. So friends, just remember that everything you do here matters. You are important. You have incredible power. Your words and your actions matter. You have the power to hurt or to heal, to divide or to unite, to destroy or to make whole, to spew hate or to show them Jesus. Besides Jesus, there's one other name I think of when I hear the word neighbor. And I named the sermon after the beloved Fred Rogers, who was the creator of Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood, as well as the host of all 895 episodes, the composer of its more than 200 songs, and the puppeteer who imagined 14 characters into being. But more importantly, he broke all kinds of barriers changed the face of children's television, and transformed the way we think about the inner lives of young children. And other than the Bible and Sunday school and my wonderful parents, he was another voice who taught me about neighbor and the kingdom of God. He famously said, if you could only sense how important you are to the lives of those you meet, how important you can be, to the people you may never even dream of. There is something of yourself that you leave at every meeting with another person. So send that text. Forgive. Pray for them. Listen. Not just hear. Listen. Speak to or go sit by that person that's alone. Stop to feed someone or buy them an umbrella or a pair of shoes. Invite that person to lunch. Bring a meal to someone who's hurting. Seek the lost out. Reconcile. Care for the marginalized. Paint the town red with the love of God. Leave Jesus at every meeting with another person. As followers of Jesus, we are called to live differently, to be known by our love and to love out Jesus' definition of loving our neighbor. For we all live in the same neighborhood, and we're all just walking each other home. Won't you love your neighbor? Amen. So for the response today, uh, again, since I have zero musical talent, I thought we could listen to the instrumental version of the Mr. Rogers theme song as we reflect on this sermon and what it might have brought up for you. What challenged you today? What do you need to sit with? What has God laid on your heart? What will you take away? How are you moved to act in loving your neighbor? And then when the song and reflection is over, I thought we might respond as a church body by reading a quote together by, before entering into Holy Communion. So I'll be back up in a minute.
Christ. I think we have slides, but this is a quote um, by St. Teresa of Avila that I always keep close. So let's read it together as a church body. Christ has no body now but yours, no hands, no feet on earth but yours. Yours are the eyes through which Christ looks compassion into the world. Yours are the feet with which Christ walks to do good. And yours are the hands with which Christ blesses the world. Yours, dear friends. So I pray we live lives worthy of our creator and love our neighbor. Amen.